When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to episode 16 of the Baseball from Home podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. He's Joe Brand. We're brought to you by the House of L podcast network. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe's been broadcasting minor league baseball for the last nine. He covers the White Sox and the Cubs for WGN Radio. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at C1 McKnight. He is at Joe underscore brand one. You can subscribe, rate, and review the pod. Likely, if you're listening, you've done at least one of those three things. Bump it up. Go for three for three. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. We would really appreciate it. And Joe will cook you dinner. Every show, we cover the Cubs, we cover the White Sox in no particular order. We'll kick it around to all the biggest Major League Baseball stories. And my goodness, are there some big Major League Baseball storylines going on just today, even though... There's a bunch of fun with the locals, with the White Sox and the Cubs, too, Joe. You used the word enchanted earlier today, and I I took a liking to that word, especially for the White Sox and what they did on Thursday to clinch their first postseason berth since 2008. And uh, anyone expecting me to cook, I can pretty much only cook like 17 different breakfast dishes. So if you like breakfast for dinner, I'm great. If you want something else... Can't help you there. None of this would be possible without David Hochberg and all of the fine folks at Team Hochberg. Not only would I not have a roof over my head, but they also sponsor the House of L Podcast Network and this show. Team Hochberg is awesome. I use them to secure my mortgage for my place in Wicker Park. I would get nowhere without them. Uh, they were absolutely wonderful. And the thing I like best about Team Hochberg is like, yeah, I, I knew David kind of prior to my to my mortgage and everything, but I got to know Kevin on his side. And he was like, like my primary handler, right, for my mortgage. And he took the time, the whole team took the time to understand my situation when I was going to buy a house, to understand what sorts of things were underlying that situation and what I needed to get the absolute best. And that's exactly what I got from Team Hochberg. You will get the same. I promise you that. Give them a call at 855-56-DAVID or head to the website at 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS 1124061. So, Joe, the Cubs are 29 and 21. 78.3 and 56.7, if you do the COVID math, they have a winning percentage of 600, which gets you a 97 win season over 162 games. The White Sox made the playoffs today by virtue of taking three of four. From the Minnesota Twins, they are now 33 and 17, which would be, oh, let's see, that's 89.1 and 45.9. They have a 660 winning percentage, first in the American League, and it would be a 107 win season for the White Sox. I'm going to go ahead and make the unilateral decision that we begin with the White Sox on the show today, mostly because. Our very own Joe Brand did the pre- and post-game show for the White Sox broadcast over on WGN. And Joe, first and foremost, I'll put you on the spot. When the White Sox clinched a playoff spot, what did you feel most needed to be conveyed in the post-game show? Probably that White Sox fans deserve this. They've been a frustrating group for the past few years that have picked and had opinions on basically every single thing that has gone on, but with all that particularness comes love and passion, and hopefully they felt that from the organization today because you know what? Again, you use the word enchanted, but that was a ball game that they could have easily rolled over and died. There are a few players that are showcasing some slumps right now, And one of those guys being Aloy Jimenez coming through with the game-winning RBI double, at least 
showed some showcases of slumping in that game. That's that's a big good win. That's a good feel-good win, and it, it accomplishes a lot of things. They clinch a playoff. They extend their lead over the Twins. They guarantee a winning record against the Twins if those two teams happen to match up with the same record at the end of the year. And, hey, Reynaldo Lopez looked okay. So something we might get into later in the podcast about just how important pitching is in the playoffs even more in 2020, that could be something that they could really use. They're going to need him. It's what it looks like, um, but it's just a matter of what kind of Reynaldo Lopez you're going to get. But today looked okay. Well, I'll twitch that just a little bit. They're going to use him in the playoffs. I hope they don't need him in the playoffs. That said, that's the best outing I've seen Reynaldo Lopez throw this season. There was the the nice one against the Cubs where he was piggybacked with um, – with Gio Gonzalez, <clears throat> but that's the best I've seen him throw all year. I think that second start of his was a good one, and I, I, you know, doesn't matter either way. That's probably the best I've seen him throw. Still, what stunned me about today's win against the Twins, and we're, we'll go back through most of the series, I think, before we get into kind of the playoff implications of what it means for the White Sox. But how many times did the Twins have the puck on their stick? And they could not kill the White Sox. It was unbelievable. Max Kepler throws one away at first base when he's got Gerard Dyson dead to rights. Luis Robert lets one clank off his glove. Like a rare fielding mistake for the Ricky Phenom. And then Nick Madrigal bails him out by throwing a freaking bullet to home plate. And Yasmani Grandal makes the tag of a lifetime. Like really an an amazing tag. And it still wasn't good enough because Buxton was absolutely safe. They never review it. They don't even go back and look. No problem. No big problem at all. There's there's the foul ball off Encarnacion's bat that doesn't get caught. There's the foul ball that doesn't get caught by James McCann. And the, the one that went up the elevator shaft, and he's like, I got it. I got it. Oh, my God. I don't know where my legs are. Please, someone help me find my legs. And then the ball drops. Like, they got away with everything in this game. And that's, you know, sometimes good teams catch breaks and they hang on to win. That that was stunning to me. What a game. What a game Thursday was. How about the fact that Josh Donaldson just said, you know what, a one-run lead, that's good enough. I'll see you later, everybody. I'm going to make a complete ass of myself just because mm, I didn't get a pitch here, I didn't get a pitch there. But you know what, for me, this is all that matters, a home run. I'll see you later. And what do you know, the Twins lose by a run. They could have used his at-bat later on in the game but he felt it was more important to make a point right there. Not just his at-bat, but Benetti made the point in the broadcast, Jose Abreu has an infield single for an RB, which, like, file that into another thing that, that was absolutely what Like, Jose Abreu legs one out for another RBI? Are you kidding? Did he die? I don't know. I, I, he's fine. <laughs> but if Donaldson's playing third, he probably gets to that ball. And, and maybe he doesn't make the play after all. Maybe it's too much for him to make. But the fact that he even gets there in the first place keeps it in the infield, and maybe there's a play at the I, – it's, it's insane. Like, it's absolutely – what – Josh Donaldson piecing out like that after hitting a home run to take the lead. I tweeted this, and I, I really do think it. If you'd have looked at me when the sixth inning started and Donaldson let off that sixth inning against Ronaldo Lopez, and I think Lopez probably should not have been pitching anymore, but I – Again, Ricky Renteria airs in that way for his pitchers. And I think more often than not, he's probably gotten the results he's wanted out of it. Even still, if you'd have looked at me before the sixth inning starts and go, all right, Twins get a run, but lose Josh Donaldson for the rest of the game. Are you taking it? I I probably take, I take it. Like I think with the White Sox offense, the way they've worked, I take that bargain. I totally do too, especially – how the Twins got all their offense from solo home runs on Thursday. Their offense lacked the first two days. I mean, they're they're definitely feeling the White Sox surge right now. I, I don't want to be all gung-ho, everything is great for the White Sox, but, I mean, it did seem like a little bit of a deflated team on Thursday, and I think you see parts of that, like the Kepler throw from right field, not going his way because maybe there's just a little bit of a tick off. But, yeah, I, Josh Donaldson – Leaving that game, like I, when it happened, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it in real time. I enjoyed it. it you never see that. I, I've never seen somebody get ejected 
right after they got they crossed home plate and then neither have I. and then go back for an encore but you're right because it's it's that place and time it's just not for it if they're up by 8 or down by 8 okay i get it but your team really needs you especially in this game and you feel more of a need to to just make a point how you tweeted about well he got all those high fives in the dugout i'm honestly surprised some some of his teammates weren't a little teed off about it i'm stunned like imagine if that if that dugout had like a papelbon in it or something like Donaldson probably would have been choked to death right there on the dugout railing. <laughs> Where's Jonathan Papelbon when you actually finally need him? Uh, no one ever needs, well, I don't know, the Red Sox in seven probably needed. Yeah. For restoring uh, order in the dugout. Yeah, right, 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 yeah, for being captain baseball. I, It's stunning to me, the, the things that have gone the White Sox way, and I don't say that in like a, well, look at all the breaks this team has gotten, aren't they lucky? No, I, I don't think that. I, I think... You know, as many breaks as they've gotten, and I'm doing the air quotes here, like you mentioned off the top, they have their struggles too. They don't have Kopech this year. They've been searching for a third starter for a while now, and Dane Dunning looks to have answered that question. But shoot, before Dunning came up and made his his first two starts, this was a two-starter rotation, full stop. And that's me saying it. And I love Dylan Cease like a son. <laughs> like, I get it. They've got Luis Robert going through a slump. Aloy Jimenez has had his moments of, of kind of up and down. And Edwin Encarnacion has been anything but the guy that they asked him to be. Yasmani Grandal spent three weeks not hitting, right? I mean, this team has also had its struggles, but it's, you know, the horseshoe up its collected ass has been on display many, many times, right? We've We've seen this work out for the White Sox in a way that I think White Sox fans have, haven't have seen for at least a decade, and, and they deserve it. Like, every fan base deserves a chance to see their team just be the one that's like, yeah, everything's going our way. What do you, this is fun. This is great. We should play 162 of these. It's basically the argument that we brought up when they swept Kansas City in a four-game series. I mean, no one's, no one's going you don't have to apologize for doing that especially with a, a team that has been so injury ridden this year like the White Sox have and who's had the holes in the rotation that they've had and whose offense has had all these inconsistencies you are still climbing or rather leaping some hurdles I mean how about the fact that Yoan Mankata now is fizzling out I mean that that's a that's a huge part of your lineup right now that isn't quite producing and you're still able to pull out these big wins I think it was Steve Stone that was mentioning it towards the end of the game on Thursday they're all becoming team wins and that is I think going to provide the biggest dividend for this team moving into the playoffs because you generate that chemistry you just generate that we can come back in this mentality. Even today when they didn't even lead until the seventh inning. Even today when they just they never seem to have it. Yeah. And they they strand the bases loaded with one out. You still felt like, no, this team is definitely capable of of beating the twins. And that's the thing, they're the twins. It's not a bad team. It's a good the Minnesota team. twins. And they come back and beat them. I it's you you're right to point out the Mankata thing and that's probably like if I look back through our other 15 episodes I don't know that we've pointed out the Mankata issue more than two or three times and that's a good thing you know they're they're, they're doing so much to get around the fact that they're missing five and a half wins above replacement from Yoan Mankata I mean that's a six win guy he's worth a little over one right now call it five like that's a lot of production to not have and yet you know they persist it's pretty impressive um i want to do something a little different on the podcast today with episode 16 you know usually we do a, a major league baseball headline right in the middle of our white Sox and or cubs chatter but i want to kind of expand that portion but also bring it home for the white Sox here and bring it home for the cubs when we get to them uh, many baseball fans have already seen the news that the playoffs are going to be in a bubble. That the first round will be at the top seed uh, ballpark and that travel is going to be re- severely restricted to the point where there are no off days in a series until the World Series. That is stunning to me absolutely stunning 
And I understand why it's happening. And up until this point, I, you know, with all of the rules changes, right? Like the runner on second base, the ghost runner and extras and the three batter minimum. And, you know, everybody just kind of looking at the Cardinals, not playing baseball for two and a half weeks and going, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We'll just keep playing and see what happens. Like, okay. I, I, it's a pandemic fine, but doing this. And I don't know if you heard, I think it was, um, Shoot, I forget if it was Gabe Kapler or Tito Francona who said that managers weren't even aware that this was going to happen, which means front offices weren't aware this is going to happen because they'd have been telling their guys how about how usage is going to work and about how we're trying to line up rotations and all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's unfair. Like now this is something that unfairly affects the distribution of talent across playoff teams. Don't you think the White Sox would have really thought about Lance Lynn? If now you're looking at a situation where Rick Hahn goes, okay, I don't have an off day? Are you kidding me? Or or hell, even if it's not Lance Lynn, looking for a better reliever because Rick Hahn's thinking, I don't have Aaron Bummer. I don't have a chance to recharge whoever is going to be my top reliever, whether that's Foster or whether that's Hoyer or whether it's Colome even. You don't have a chance to reset that guy with the off day. And you don't have Bummer. you got to go get a different arm. This changes absolutely the ability of teams to go make themselves better for a postseason they assumed was going to happen in one way. This isn't right. This absolutely isn't right. I just don't understand the necessity of it because you have 16 teams in the playoffs. Like You have plenty of days to have games without without off days. I, I don't understand why every team needs to follow along with that as well. And I mean, so correct me if I'm wrong, if you sweep a series, that's the only chance you get an off day, or even if that? I mean, that's... As it looks now, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe that's where MLB can come up with the argument, but it just, it, it very it seems icky. It seems like, yeah, we're going to do this, and we're just going to do it, and we're going to tell you, we're going to do it, and then we're going to tell you guys later about it. I didn't even think about the trade deadline scenario. And it's funny because when we were talking a few podcasts ago about the runner at second rule, and I know you knew that it's it's not implemented for the playoffs, but you're like, well, wait, did they make that official? Because that's basically what they have to do with everything now. They, they have to go through everything with a fine comb and be like, no, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. I guess I shouldn't say I'm surprised, though, because this is the league that implemented twice as many playoff teams as they originally said, like the day of opening day, right when the season started, um, not before the season starting. It definitely impacts teams. I do worry about the White Sox because of the way their flaws are now. Clearly, there are holes in the rotation. And it seems like a strong rotation is the most – this is kind of tough – I would say a rotation might be the most useful thing in these types of playoffs because you want your guys to go long because the relievers you're expecting to go day after day. You're not expecting the guys in the rotation to. And with the three batter minimum rule, you're going to have mishaps from relievers coming out because you're not going to get those one-on-one matchups. So you're expecting a lot more out of your rotation. I I know you've seen it, Joe, but I don't know if everybody out there has seen it. Mike Petriello, who does an amazing job for MLB.com, put out this graph that's been around for a while. Obviously, it's a, a, uh, let's see, it's a 15, 15, 25-year-long graph. We are now at a point where half of the outs recorded in October baseball are recorded by relievers. Half. And I think that counts, like if you have a Bumgarner situation where he's coming out of the pen or Kershaw's like coming out to throw those last couple innings, that counts him as a reliever, but it should because if we're thinking about this as a how many outs did the starter get that day, it doesn't necessarily matter that Kershaw's a starter or reliever. He came in in relief. You used someone other than the starter for those outs, right? That's trying. That's what we're trying to measure here. So in effect, what you're also doing is throwing out the idea that you could go in a five-game set with Giolito or Keuchel twice, or I, you know, either one of them throwing twice, you, you'd have to do it on short rest, which is something that, mathematically speaking, 
decreases the effectiveness of a pitcher. We know that to be true. It's one of the few things in baseball where you can go, yes, there is a large enough sample size. Pitchers pitching on short rest, more often than not, are not as good as they are when they're pitching on five days. This completely changes how I feel about the White Sox in the postseason. I, if you'd have asked me 12 hours ago, Joe, can the White Sox win the World Series? I go, shit, yeah, they can win the World Series. Are you kidding me? And right now I go, well, they got a lot of things to figure out on the pitching side, and they better hit their balls off to do it. Like that's, And that's a different answer. It just is. They're both very profane, but those are two very different answers. I'm, I'm pretty much 100% on board with you. The one thing I was talking about a little bit earlier, though, with you lose – you lose the ability to have the one-on-one matchup at the drop of a hat at any time you want because of the three-batter minimum rule. That can benefit the Sox, I believe, because of this explosive offense and basically how deep the lineup is and how almost every one of these guys can go deep. So that can work in the Sox' favor. It's just, yes, are will the starting rotation in the playoffs be sustainable if this is, in fact the way it's going to be with no off days. I mean, we talked about it. Yes, they, they can sweep a three-game series with ease, 100%. It can happen. Not saying it will, but it can happen. Once you get to that five-game series, you're right, Connor. I mean, it's it's Keuchel, Giolito, variation of the two, probably Dunning, probably Cease. And then after that, I mean, you're, you're going back with whoever started game one. But like you said, that's on short rest. If you didn't already use that game one guy earlier in the series, I mean, who knows what, what happens? It it definitely affects the White Sox. Are they the most affected team in this situation? <laughs> maybe, right? Maybe, maybe. I mean, there's the Braves, right, with all of their injuries. Right, but, but, I know but Col- the, those injuries are there. Like, if, if this weren't a factor, I, those injuries are still a problem. It's like the makeup of the White Sox team right now. It's almost like, hey, how can we make sure the White Sox don't go deep in the playoffs? I know. Let's let's cut off the the or rather let's let's find their flaw, let's find their wound, grab a handful of salt and put it right on it. Then set it on fire. There are seven <laughs> teams. Petriella wrote there are seven teams with at least nine pitchers who have thrown at least fifteen innings and an ERA plus over one hundred. ERA plus is set to you know, it's it's your league standard thing, right? A hundred is your league average pitcher, it's uh nullifies for park effects and all this other stuff. It's a smart kid stat, right? I, I don't know what the hell it means. It's a smart kid stat. ERA plus of a hundred or more, right? All likely to make the playoffs. The Dodgers have thirteen of such type pitchers. The twins have ten of such type pitchers. Guys who have thrown fifteen innings, ERA over hundred plus. And the Rays, Cardinals, Yankees White Sox and Indians all have nine of those types of pitchers. It it doesn't it shouldn't surprise you that like I've named good teams who have a lot of good pitchers, right? That that all makes sense to me. But if I look at at the depth here and the ability to deploy weapons, I think the Indians just got a massive boost when it comes to how you have to play now in these playoffs without off days. And that scares me if you're if you're going to be the White Sox because not only are we talking about um, guys you can't use, but now we have to talk about the guys you're going to have to use, like Steve Ciszek. Okay, he's been there before. He's a veteran, but he's not pitching very well. Cody Hoyer and Foster, and I'm probably going to space out on a bullpen arm with the White Sox because I'm furious about this whole change. But now you're turning toward inexperienced arms and the White Sox aren't in a situation where you could, like, throw this kid in game two where you've either got a handle on it or don't and see how he deals with the playoffs and then either shelve him for a better situation if you move on to the next round or whatever. you got to use him the next night. You have to. Full stop. Because you don't have off days. You're going to have to throw other guys. You're going to have to – it's just – it's insane to me. The, the dominoes that fall here with, with just removing something so simple – as an off day from the equation. We're going to see Jonathan Stevers start a playoff game, aren't we? Oh, my is, God. Is that, is that what this is coming to? Um, <clears throat> you bring up Cleveland. Here's the stat that I found to be one of the more 
primary statistics for this whole conversation, and it's it's simple. It's quality starts. And I know the Cubs keep showing it up on Marquee Network with their graphic because they're number two in the majors with 26. That's 52% of their starts right now. But you're right. Cleveland's got 33 of them. That's 67%. I also wonder if this is a year where we're not going to see managers pull their starter in the fourth or fifth inning. I mean, I, I can see both sides of the argument. You've got the relief staff with the three batter minimum rule. So, yes, managers might be more inclined to keep their starters out there longer so that they have to dig less into the bullpen, and especially with this no-off-day scenario. But what if a guy is in some trouble, it's the third inning, and you're already down, let's say, 2 nothing, 3 nothing. Do you think, all right, we just pull him and save him for Game 4 or possibly Game 3 if our backs are to the wall? It's 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 a lot it's a lot of harsh decisions. And when you first brought it up to me, as we pull back the curtain and talk about our conversation right before we started recording, I was wondering, I was thinking, okay, well well this has just been all year, right? They change rules and fans complain about it and the games adapt. And you don't really hear the teams complain about the universal DH, or complain about the three batter minimum rule. They'll talk about the differences, but they're not out there like, yeah, we would have won that game if, if we could have cho- uh, moved a bullpen guy here or there. Because I, I, I feel like, number one, they don't want to make excuses. Number two, everyone's got to deal with it. But yeah, this is this is probably the most effective. No, it is. It's the most effective thing, effective rule change that you could deal with, especially in the playoffs, which makes it so bizarre. So speaking of playoffs, Rob Manfred, commissioner of baseball on a, I guess he was on some like hangout with Hofstra students or something like that. It was like the commissioner goes to Hofstra, which you know, great. That's fantastic. Um, he addressed the fact, he, he addressed expanded playoffs and he said he was in favor of it. He really likes it. So I think we kind of need to brace ourselves for another long-term and permanent expansion of the playoffs. I'm not saying it's going to happen, um, but look at the forces behind expanding playoffs, right? More marketplaces make playoff games. There are more playoff games. Playoff games mean more money. Owners want more money. I mean, that's probably all the math I have to do for you, but that means we're looking at more playoff teams. I pray that it is not 16. It is ludicrous. I repeat, ludicrous to have an 81 or 79 win team in the playoffs with a chance of knocking out a 100 win team. The argument of, well, if the 100 win team can't beat a 79 win team, then do they deserve to be in the playoffs? That's utter bullshit. It's, it, that's not a conversation. That's not baseball. Anybody who has watched baseball understands that in a three-game set, anything can happen. The the Orioles won 40-something games last year, and I would bet that even two of those were in a row, okay? It happens. Bad teams can win series. If we are to have expanded playoffs then, there are a number of different people, uh, smart, been in the game a long time, even owners, who have brought up the different formats. And before we get to what those formats could look like, and one of them is very interesting because it does come from Jerry Reinsdorf, I'll just say this. Baseball for the last five or six years has been obsessed with trying to find a younger fan base. And they've been going about doing this and finding a younger fan base by trying to shorten the game by four minutes a night or something like that. And, and not reaching into social media platforms and allowing the kind of expanded highlight access that kids demand of their sports. The way they consume sports is that. It's not on the nightly cable network. It's, it's just not anymore. It's all changing. So I, I, I thought of this before we started the podcast, and I, I think I really do mean this, Joe. If you're going to change the playoffs and expand them, then change the format. And if you're going to change the format, I mean this literally. Call up a 15-year-old baseball fan, ask her how she wants the playoffs to work, and let her decide. Because if you're, if you're doing this, if you're making it 16 teams, if you're changing the fundamental aspect of who's worthy to go play for a World Series and 
how we find out who the best team is, then just change it all. And if you're all that worried about getting young viewers back into the sport, go find a 15-year-old fan and ask them if they want their playoffs this way. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Or that, and have them decide. Because at this point, you're already changing so much about this game and how it has to operate that you may as well just dive right into the marketplace that you're begging, begging to survive in and let them call the shots. When they first implemented an additional wild card team for a wild card game i was irate about it i was hosting my college radio show and i think it was supposed to be 30 minutes and i went on for like 45 minutes about how dumb this rule is and the very first year the san francisco giants are the second wild card team they go on to win the world series and totally show my argument that okay this is still a world series capable team of entering the playoffs but I grew to enjoy it, and I grew to respect it because it increases divisional competition. That's it, though. I mean, like when you add more, when you add more, you're just you're just tinkering around with things just for the hell of it. I, I, I I'm with you there. Let's let's talk to some teenagers. Hey, what do you think? At least do a a survey or what do they call it? round a round table and and get some ideas flowing with different ages rather than somebody who's Joe Torre and everyone that looks like him. I mean, I like Joe Torre. I like what he's done with Major League Baseball, but you're right. It's it's way too much, hmm, should we do this? Well, everyone here who has always thought the same thinks it's pretty good, so why don't we do it? And that is what scares me about this season is that they see a 16-playoff team format, and they go, oh, wow, look at this. It works pretty well. I don't think they'll – well, no, there's no way they'll continue the play day after day type thing. But you're right. I mean, if you're going to – totally smash your hand down in the Monopoly board and pieces go flying everywhere, at least put them together in a proper, organized, well-thought-out way rather than uh, what we're feeling right now. So here's one. I want to see what you think of it. We'll talk about it a little bit. It's from uh, Ken Rosenthal's piece in The Athletic. And the the piece kind of talks about uh, Bob Costas, and uh, you know I I love Costas, I really do, and and I I understand that some people will take shots at him because he kind of places himself in that situation of being uh, keeper of the game sort of thing. I I don't think he does that, but I could see how others, you know, would would get annoyed by it or what have you. Um, that's neither here nor there. Either way, Rosenthal's writing about how Costas really hated the wild, just the wild card idea back in the day. And, and really it wasn't all that crazy about allowing any more than two teams play for a World Series title, right? So Bob's pretty old school. But I'm going to read a couple of graphs. They're quick, but they're really interesting. And for White Sox fans, they'll be even more so because Jerry Reinsdorf made a suggestion about how expanded playoffs could work. If the league wants to continue with expanded playoffs, Rosenthal writes, Costas has some ideas, including one he first heard from White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf. Costas's suggestions are offshoots of the 14-team postseason the league floated in February, featuring three division winners and four wild cards in each league. Under the plan, the teams with the best records in each league would earn automatic buys to the division series. The two other division winners and top wild card teams would host a best-of-three wildcard round. The bottom three wildcards would play entirely on the road, at least in the first round. The next step would be gimmicky, or, depending on your perspective, a fascinating strategic exercise. The division winner with the second-best record would choose its opponent from the three lowest-seeded wildcards. The division winner with the third-best record would pick between the other two wildcards, and the top wildcard would face whichever team remains. This would unfold on a live, televised selection show, and the brains of today's data-driven GMs might short-circuit trying to figure out which opponents made for the best matchups. Costas, though, said the concept needs to draw even more of a distinction between the two division winners that do not receive buys and the four wildcards, the worst of which might be a club with a record of around 500. 
The plan Costa suggests isn't his own. It came from Reinsdorf, who confirmed it through a spokesman that he had passed it on to the league. So basically what we have to do, or what I have to do, is is pick out what I like from that type of scenario and what I don't like. And the things I don't like just don't seem very baseball to me. I, I don't like a selection show. I think, I think it'd be entertaining. I think it would make money. I would tune in. But I don't like it. Um, and I don't like teams choosing their opponents in the playoffs. I, I, I don't know. I'm, like, trying to draw an equivalent. Like, okay, NFL, that probably works best, right? You know what team you match up against the best. Maybe maybe it's tied with basketball and and even hockey. I, I get it. Like the Blackhawk but the Blackhawks beat the Golden Knights for a game. But the Knights still played their same game the following game. If you do that in baseball, you if you lose to a lesser team in baseball, it's not because you got beat because they outworked you for the most part, like nine times out of ten. It's it's something fluky happened, or you crapped the bed, or something happened. I, I just think there's way too much regret that would go into a baseball team choosing their opponents, especially in a playoff setting, and I hate the idea of a bye for baseball playoffs. I do not think it can benefit, or it can totally do the opposite of benefit you your your team's just sitting on their ass all weekend watching uh, the, all this other all these other high intensity games going on these other teams building chemistry and you just have to come back and match that game 1 that's tough to do yeah yeah that buy i've always figured that, that buy helps exactly two guys on that team it's the guy who pitched the second to last game of the year and the guy who pitched the last game of the year those two guys and if you're a division winner <clears throat> It's likely that you've had stuff in the bag for a couple of weeks now, or at least a week and a half, and those last two guys pitching, you know, that's that's not it's not Kershaw, right? It's Ross Stripling, or it's triple A guy who's twenty nine and needed a cup of coffee in the bigs to get pe- you know what I mean? Like that's the big guy's not going. Sometimes, sometimes that happens. Like, right, you you win Maybe it's maybe you've got a divisional game and it's Sox Twins in game 162 and it's for the division and for that buy. Okay, that makes sense. And then you're throwing your big gun like Giolito's throwing there and your buy is to make sure that Giolito throws game two of a, of a playoff series. Or game one, rather, of, a, of, a, of your first round. I, I think, though, if we are to take expanded playoffs as a guaranteed, which I'm not doing quite yet, but... I'm I'm getting my brain ready for it because I'm being told to do that by a lot of smarter people than I am. I like the idea that Jerry Reinsdorf, old as he is, is willing to open up what the playoffs are and the entertainment factor of it to a wider audience. I'm with you, Joe. I don't give a damn about a selection show or picking your own opponent or even 14 playoff teams. But it's it's kind of it's kind of like what I meant with the fifteen year old picking the way she wants her playoffs to work. It's not about me anymore. They've already got me. I'm I'm in. I'm watching baseball, and I'm gonna watch even if some seventy nine win Marlins team is playing in the first round of a playoffs. I'm I'm in. But if if that kind of selection show, that kind of reality show process registers at all for a younger fan base, then. Okay, I, I can understand where we're coming from there, even if I don't like it. I did enjoy the one thing that was brought up about the two higher-seeded teams are always the home team, and they play alternating lower-seeded teams. It, I, you know, I honestly tried to figure out a way that MLB could do this, and I got the idea from the World Baseball Classic because I, I just like the idea. Okay, it's, it's, it is kind of like college baseball and, and the World Series and the brackets that they do and the, the four-team pools. But, yeah, it would just be the higher-seeded team gets to host all the games and the lower-seeded teams have to deal with travel and have to win on the road and then have to pack their bags and go to the next place and they have to win again there. Uh, I heard this today. Kevin Powell brought this up to me at the station, and I didn't. I've never heard this idea. What about... So just for just to make it easier to comprehend, let's say 
the Sox win the number one seed. The number eight seed ends up being whatever, uh, Houston, even though that won't happen. You have a best of two series, kind of. The Sox need to beat Houston once. Houston needs to beat the Sox twice. And both games are on the south side of Chicago. Kind of like a make-it-take-it scenario. Yes. All right. I, I, I like that. I don't I don't mind that. Um I don't mind that. I I It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it'd be it'd be fi- I'd be fine with it for 2020, but I think it's a playoff I don't like anywhere else. Um I like the idea of group play. I I I'm kind of behind that. Like if you're going to expand if we're ta- again, if we're taking for granted the fact that the playoffs are expanding, let's say it's 14 teams, right? Take your your top uh, let's see, your division winners in each league, that's six. Take your top six and set them in the first round of the playoffs and let the rest play in group play for five days. Shorten the season. Go to 156. Make your group play happen. Have your you know your tiebreakers, your, differen- your run differentials, all that kind of stuff matter, your world baseball kind of stuff, where it's a round robin, totally crazy, like absolute pandemonium, where it costs these bad teams to get into that next round, because these six division winners, I, and I'm, I'm with Costas on this, should be rewarded more than they currently are. Plus, it gets you a, a whole bunch of nonsense, which is which is what, you know, I mean, like nonsense in a good way. Like, oh my God, can you believe this? Um, I, I think that that could be fairly interesting to people. I, 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 I just... I mean, Joe, we're going to have it. I mean, listen, we're probably two seasons two seasons away from from some 80-win team <laughs> bouncing out a 95-win ball club. And a bunch of people are going to say that the 95-win ball club never should have been there. And it's... My blood's going to boil. Well, now easy. Didn't the 2006 Cardinals win the World Series with 84 wins and I mean that that's the system before there was a, a second wild card placed in I, I'm with you though I like I give the division winners their luxury give them what they need which is home field advantage and yeah let those lesser teams battle it out make them go through hell in in order to advance to the next round because then if they do go all the way it's like well you know what they really took care of business against four teams in four days in a crazy area, and then they came back and beat one of those better teams. One thing on the 06 Cardinals, though, before we get to the Cubs, like, <laughs> they are the exception. You know what I mean? Like, that that has only happened once and probably won't happen again if they kept playing the playoffs the same way, right? If you expand it, it's going to have like the the frequency of the 80 win team beating the 95 win team is going to happen more than just once in 20 something years. It, it's going to happen a lot by virtue of baseball, you know and I and I don't think that that's what we all want the playoffs to be. We don't want it to be some sleepy series in the middle of June where, it's, you know, things just didn't line up quite right for the better team, and the other guys got lucky two or three times. So here's one more thing. Would it make more sense or less sense to shorten the regular season then? I, I've been for shortening the regular season since 2006, I think. So so have I, but for, for this playoff format, because like it's like this year, you know, would the Marlins really be a divisional winning team if it was a 162 no, game season. No, of course not. But I but I do think that like, you know, if you are if if they are expanding it to 16 and you do want your off days back, you have to. and and you don't want to play on November 20, you don't want to play, you know, the World Series on Thanksgiving, you may have to cut 10 or 12 games out and hopefully the, you know, hopefully from the the owner's standpoint, which who who cares, uh the revenues of, you know, losing that one three-game series at home that you might have is offset by the playoff revenues that you'll score. Let's get to the Cubs. I know this this one has gone uh, a little bit longer than normal, but the Cubs deserve their fair shake. They took two from the Indians 
on uh, what was that Tuesday and Wednesday, and then won the game on on Sunday as well. So they're on a, a they've won three since we've done our last podcast. And and I got to tell you, Joe, um, they looked good against the Indians, who are a good team. And I mean that even even knowing that a couple, maybe even both of those wins were maybe more lucky than good. But but I thought they got themselves into those uh, good to be lucky situations on their own, even if the luck ended up working out for them. I, I thought the way they played got them to in those situations. Yeah, a lot of those struggles are still there. I mean, Wilson Contreras is still making bad at bats. Anthony Rizzo is still uh, coming up short with the bases loaded. And there's a lot of clutch RBI opportunities that they're missing out on. But you're right. They took two games from Cleveland. And... I really like what Anthony Rizzo did. I think this was before Tuesday's game. He brought, I think, the whole team together, but mainly like called himself out about Javi and Wilson. Just, all right, we need to make better at-bats. We really have to get ahead of this thing. So when when you do that, and I know everyone always talks about how Anthony Rizzo needs to be the captain of the Chicago Cubs, but when you do that, you're taking away the – individual struggles you're you're making it an us thing and let's all make this better as a team because we need to and I said this I think last week on that podcast when they pull out games they still pull out games even though they have a faulty bullpen and they have a somewhat streaky offense I mean they've got a lot of gamers on that team and we didn't really get into talking about the Cubs with this whole postseason shakeup but if this rotation continues to be where it's at, where you can get five feasible innings from John Lester, Alec Mills, I know he's not going to throw a no-hitter every day, but if he's able to be that number three guy, all of a sudden you're talking about a different Cubs team with a lot more positivity heading into the playoffs. Name this player. Over his last eight games, his batting average is 290. His on-base percentage is 389, and his slugging percentage is 387. Is it Javi? It's Chris Bryant. It's Chris Bryant. So, obviously, the slugging percentage is atrocious. 387 is bad for anybody. It's doubly bad for Chris Bryant. But a 389 on-base and a 290 average means the bats get into the baseball. He's seeing pitches a lot better. And I I think it kind of underscores, hopefully this is a good but bad thing for Cubs fans and for the team, right? It kind of reinforces the fact that he's not healthy, which means that the struggles were Chris Bryant when he was really unhealthy. And hopefully now is Chris Bryant, while he's getting better, I think, it still leaves a big question mark around Chris Bryant as to how healthy can he get by the time that first game of the playoffs rolls around. But shoot, if you're if you're an offense with a upward trending Javi Baez, hopefully, Wilson Contreras who gets his act together and Anthony Rizzo hitting the way he has, and a Bryant that's doing this, at least on base at a 380, 390 clip, that starts to feel workable for me. Not it's not a White Sox offense, don't get me wrong. That's that's a workable affair, I think. If you want to create the argument that how different it was for these guys to get situated for this season, you know, rushed a, a summer training before beginning a 60-game season, you've got to give them the credit that, hey, they could still work with this remaining little over a week to find themselves back and, and get back into their positive attributes and Maybe this thing can figure itself out come playoff time. I mean, you almost want to say time can be on their side with what's about to come up. And the whole thing is they've maintained a first-place lead this entire time. So we've talked about the improvements of the bullpen. Bullpen is still shaping up pretty good. Craig Kimbrell looking pretty good. Jeremy Jeffress, I know he blew the save on Tuesday against Cleveland. That's the first time he had a really bad game. So, okay, you get your stellar starting staff. You get an offense that's improving and, again, has playoff experience. Maybe they find their mojo just in that when coming back. And if the bullpen's okay, it's 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 a much better Cubs team. 
Over his last eight, Javi Baez is hitting 200 with an on-base of 226 and a 223 slugging percentage. Only because you guessed. I, I, I wanted to give you Javi's. However, I think the reason you guess Javi Baez is because you look over the last, like, I don't know, three or four, and then the numbers look significantly, you know, different than that. He's he's had some clutch hits. He's taken some big offers. He's had a couple of runs driven in, right? I mean, that's the Javi's season is... Javi's season is horrific, you know? It's it's absolutely terrible. And there there's really no way around that. It's it, it's terrifying to think that even though this is a short sample size and a very small spate of games in the long run of Javi Baez's career, the swing and miss and the overall profile exists. Like there's there's underlying math for what you're seeing from Javi Baez in a way that doesn't exist with Chris Bryant. And if it's more likely that you keep Javi than it is that you keep Chris, that's that's worrisome for the future of of what the 2021 Cubs are, what the 22 Cubs are, and for that matter, it's it's the next four or five years of the Cubs too, because whether they rebuild, retool, or hold on to all of the veterans. What you're able to trade either one of those guys for, you know, one or the other or both, is going to be impacted by how well they produce. And right now, the returns on that are are, are very bad. And and the best thing that could happen is that they get hot in this particular postseason and carry themselves through. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that whole Javi Baez, Chris Bryant conversation took kind of took a 180 this season. I, I mean, neither are producing to where they need to be, but yeah, at least Chris Bryant's got an excuse. Javi Baez's is, is what? He can't take a look at the video in between at-bats right which, now? Which I think matters. Like I, I, That does matter for many, many hitters in baseball. I, I think it's something they absolutely have to fix and should get ingenious about. But the fact that, that you know, Yasmani Grandal complained about it for a couple of weeks and then has slowly figured out again how to hit – that hasn't happened for Javi, and, and it's probably not all the video, but it certainly hasn't helped, and he found, hasn't found a way around it, apparently. Yeah, and I mean, we talked about it before, how it can just make such a difference, especially when the same pitcher is out there, because, oh, I just missed that slider. It's like, well, it, it's actually dipping a little bit this way rather than that way, and, you know, if you just time it up a little bit more, I mean, I, I think that that can become a bigger or uh, a much different aspect for Javier Baez, but... Who knows what the rule is going to be moving forward with it, too. I, I don't think the Cubs or any other team, for that matter, will make a decision on acquiring Javi Baez or not because of that rule. But it's it's definitely a it's a variable that he's not responding well to right now. So what other variables might he have trouble with? I want to go back to something you mentioned at the top of the Cubs conversation. You You mentioned that you know, if you can get five manageable innings out of John Lester, you know, that's that's an okay thing. And are you describe for me your level of comfort with starting John Lester in a playoff game, knowing that obviously, you know, 12 hours ago, we're talking about like, you know, off days and, and being able to go with Darvish twice or something like that. Now you I, I think the way I look at the Cubs, you kind of have to start John Lester, you know, injuries put aside, you, you're starting John Lester. I, I don't think. know. Give me a. Uh... Give me a rank, like one through ten. How confident do I feel with John yeah, Lester? No, show me with your hands. Show everyone listening to the podcast okay. with your hands well, just how much like, you... <laughs> I'm, I'm, my microphone is this far away. Right, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, no, he's... What, he's your number He's your number four guy. He's he's the guy that, well, we need him to go right now. He's, he's 2003 Carlos Zambrano. Didn't he start game... Game five of the AD, ALDS, and or maybe game one of the NLCS. Like he's just all right. Yeah, we got him here if we need him to start. I I don't know. Yeah, maybe is he more useful out of the pen in this scenario because you know you can get some innings out of him, and if he doesn't quite seem to have it, just yank him and then use him for a start later on. I do have more faith in him than I did before because of what he's done the last two days, but that's because. It just seemed very, very manufactured on his own. Like, it's not like, oh, he he ran into a slow team or anything like that. I did see they were showing some old highlights from the World Series game because they were playing Cleveland, and it's just that snap. He doesn't have that, like, that, that quick snap uh, with his fastball or, or kind of with any pitches as, as he did back then. But, but again, he, he worked around it on Wednesday, 
he he was locating his pitches where he needed to be for weak contact, and that's the John Lester that we know. We talked about the cutter issues, but but he's still finding ways around it. Even even if it's not these huge momentous improvements, they're still slightly working, and and that gives me a little bit more confidence for John Lester moving forward. I was thinking about this even even when he was throwing well. You know, he's keeping the ball down, and that's really important for him. Um, going inside to right-handers is dangerous. I know he still has to do it, but I, I cringe every time you know somebody sets up inside on a righty with John Lester pitching. His cutter doesn't cut anymore. It just kind of lists. It's it's a lister. It's kind of it's kind of wanders about an inch and a half. That's the sound it makes too. It's, it just lists. It just lists over. It. The seams aren't popping. It just kind of and that's it. And maybe moves a little bit. Maybe you miss it. Maybe you don't. I, I have no there, – there should be no regrets with John Lester. There should be none. No Cubs fan, not a single Cubs fan should worry about a John Lester start in as much as, oh, he's so bad, or, oh, this is terrible, or why do they keep running him out there? You know why. We all talked about it the moment they signed into that deal. We all celebrated it the moment they won the World Series. We all championed him, you know, when he was getting – 12 ERAs after the All-Star break two years ago and when he dropped it all back down to four, right? Like, this is exactly how you figured this contract would play out. And it's 100% of what you could have ever asked for. There should be no consternation, no worries, no angst about John Lester as the pitcher, save, boy, I wish they could have gotten that extra win, but that's what they're left with. That was the deal that's how you bargained for a World Series title. No, you you do it 10 out of 10 times. Uh, I got a little moved watching his press conference after the game on Wednesday. I was like, wow. I, I mean, of course you know that John Lester is a, is a very loyal guy. He's a guy that I don't want to say wears his heart on his sleeve, but, I mean, everyone talks about how great of a teammate he is. I mean, you really saw how much he enjoyed pitching for the Chicago Cubs in that press conference and the comments about oh like he was even just just a little somber and then he he kind of tossed it to the media like oh you know some things are going in my head and I just kind of threw it out there and they're like okay well well what is oh well is it because this might be the last time you throw here in this uniform he's like well yeah yeah of course so yes champion him cherish him I've said before and i Plenty of Chicago, if not all Chicago fans agree, second most important free agent signing in Chicago sports history, Marion Hosa being one, Mike Glennon being a close number three. Sure, sure. Glennon's a tight one. This is a guy that pitched in Boston longer than he did Chicago. And this is a guy that came to Chicago buying a dream. Like the, the story from Theo Epstein is they created a video that what it would look like when the Cubs won the World Series. And that was one of the selling points to John Lester. You understand how difficult that is to do? Like, hey, we want to win the World Series. Yeah, so does every team. Yeah, but when we do, it'll look really cool. Yeah, okay. All right, here's a video of how it will look. And to make that actually convincing, like to be like, yeah, wow, we got to do this. I got to do this. I'm sure there were some other things involved too, but still, it's a cool story, and the fact that he bought it and made it happen or helped make it happen makes it that much cooler. Yeah, they also told him Jason Hayward was going to be on the team, and I know we got we to gotta run here, but Jason Hayward's last 13 games, I mean, this is obviously the best season he's had as a Chicago Cub, but over his last, uh, what did I say, 18 games? Yeah, since September 1, we'll do it that way. 289, 429 on base percentage this month, and 421 slugging for a right fielder who plays damn good defense still. That throw home was on a damn line. That's a it's a rope, son. That is a laser. And he's still getting it done. That's uh it's it's really, it's really nice for me to see Jason Hayward get a little bit of his in 2020. This is exactly the guy that the Cubs signed. This is who they, they wanted right away. Unfortunately, it took a couple years, but you talk about a teammate, you talk about just a good guy all around. It is fantastic to see him finally living up to his ability. Flags fly forever. We'll see if the White Sox or the Cubs can get one of those toward the end of 2020. A souped-up, extra-long baseball from home pod for you, but... With uh, baseball changing everything about their playoffs, we figured it was probably worth 
your time. It's definitely worth ours. Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you Monday morning with the next episode of the Baseball From Home pod. He's Joe. I'm Connor. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.